Hey everyone, this is Rose Daly, the City Sustainability Coordinator of Sun Prairie, and you're listening to the Sustainable Sun Prairie Podcast, the show that aspires to educate, empower, and engage our listeners in all aspects of sustainability. Whether you are a seasoned sustainability enthusiast or just beginning your sustainability journey, each episode will have something new and exciting for everyone. Let's begin the conversation for a greener community. Hey everyone, welcome back to Sustainable Sun Prairie. Have you ever been in the situation where you're minding your own business and then suddenly you hear that dreaded thump and you immediately know that a bird has collided with your window? Yeah, it's probably one of my least favorite sounds and it always makes my stomach drop as I rush over to the window to see if the bird survived. Bird window collisions are actually a huge issue in the United States. According to the National Institute for Urban Wildlife, it is estimated that anywhere from 100 million to 1 billion birds are killed each year by window collisions. This data suggests that a significant portion of our nation's bird population is wiped out annually as a result of our infrastructure. With that, I would like to pose the question, how can we coexist safely with avian companions in our built world? In this episode, we're going to take a deep dive into understanding the impact of bird collisions, what we can do as individuals to protect our local birds, and what it would take to create a bird-safe city. Joining me in this conversation is Brenna Marsicek, who is the Director of Communications and Outreach for Badgerland Bird Alliance, which is formerly Madison Audubon. She coordinates or supports a variety of volunteer citizen science programs, including the Bird Collision Corp, Bald Eagle Nest Watch, Kestrel Nest Box Monitoring Program, and the Madison Area Christmas Bird Count. She loves helping homeowners, building occupants, and communities become more bird-friendly and sustainable. Welcome, Brenna. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Yes, I am so excited for our conversation. Before we jump into the specific questions I have for you, I am just personally curious, did you join Badgerland Bird Alliance out of like a passion you have, or did you maybe study something related to this in school? Yeah, so I started with, at that time it was called Madison Audubon. Um, In 2007, actually, when I was an undergrad at UW-Madison, I took an internship to study ecological restoration at our Fable Grove Sanctuary, which is outside of Lake Mills. And the the summer I spent that year um, really changed my career path. So I had originally wanted to be an interpreter or a translator and work with languages and people from all over the world. And then I spent a summer on the prairie learning about plants and animals and all the connections in between. And I decided then and there I needed to work for a place like Madison Audubon, Badgerland Bird Alliance, or some other organization that directly benefits and promotes um, native habitats, restoration, and and just nature in general. So um, a few years later, uh, I came back to Madison after being away for a while and uh, joined as a staff person at Badgerland Bird Alliance um, in the communications role. So I I did not study birds um, in my schooling, but I have learned a lot about birds since then. And a lot of what I do is to facilitate bird conservation in lots of different ways. So um, working with people who are bird enthusiasts is really what I'm, I'm passionate about and, and helping them help birds. Oh, that is so cool. Wow. I love that like we go to college thinking we want to study one thing and then we discover our true passion and it just like changes the whole career path. That is so cool. Well, we are grateful for the work that you do with Badgerland Bird Alliance. Um, I thought we could start with some questions that are around 
understanding the impact of bird window collisions. Um, and my first question for you is, could you help us understand why birds fly into windows? Is it something about their biology? Is it something about the reflections in the glass? Maybe you can help to paint that picture for us. Yeah, that's a great question. Birds and windows are really not a good mix, and that's for a number of reasons. Um, first and foremost, a lot of birds that have problems with collisions and running into windows are songbirds. Songbirds' eyes are placed typically further out to the side of their head than humans' eyes, or mm -hmm. even other different types of birds' eyes. For example, raptors tend to have eyes that face more forward. Right. So, you know, with eyes that are more out to the side, it helps them in the sense that they can see predators better coming at them, but it also um, changes the way that they perceive depth. And when they're flying toward a window, they don't see it as a solid structure the way that we do. Okay. So instead of seeing a window, they see the reflection of habitat or they see, like in the case of um, two sets of windows, maybe one on the front side of the house and one on the back side of the house, where you can see through both sets of windows, the bird thinks that that's just clear air to fly through and it attempts to fly through those windows to get to the sky mm -hmm. or the habitat that they see on the other side. So that's called a pass-through effect. Um, and a lot of homes and buildings either have a lot of habitat reflected in their windows or they have a lot of pass-through effects um, that make it really dangerous for birds. They also don't have the benefit of, you know, speaking our language. Right. So when we're young, we learn that, you know, these things that are clear, that have a, a frame on the outside, like a, a window frame, that's a window. And even knowing that from a young age, people still run into doors and we windows. Do. Yeah. <laughs> so do like our pets and stuff too, like dogs right. will run into windows. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's tricky for even the most experienced person in some cases. Um, and so, so birds don't have the benefit of learning that. Um, so they don't have that, you know, experience with what windows are the way that we do. So the, the primary things that we think about with what drives window collisions is that the birds are seeing reflection of something that they want to get to, either habitat or, or food or something that you know, draws them into that area, or they're trying to get through the window with the idea that they can get to the other side. Okay, gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. I've also read online that sometimes during mating season, male birds will actually purposefully run into glass because they see their reflection and they think it's like, you know, another male in their territory. Is that also something else we've seen that might cause those bird deaths through collisions? Yeah, definitely. That's a problem where birds um, will see themselves and think it's another male and attack their reflection, thinking that they're attacking another uh, male that's infringing on their territory. So in a lot of cases, that is more of an injury causing um, situation because they're not coming at the window as fast as they would be if they're um, flying quickly toward a tree, for example, right. or a, what turns out to be a reflection of a tree. Um, but it is still a problem and birds can die as a result of that. Mm, okay, that's unfortunate. I know when I had a parakeet growing up, we used to like, he had this little mirror in his cage and he would always attack it thinking there was another bird on the other side. So I can see how this is also an issue with window reflections. Mm -hmm. So in North America, and maybe specifically in the Midwest, is there a specific species of bird that is most often killed by these window collisions? 
the birds that tend to typically have the most uh, problems with window collisions are migratory birds. Um, not to say that resident birds don't hit windows, they certainly do, but migratory birds are ones that fly long distances each spring and fall to get to where they need to go. So they have to migrate. They're either moving to, to some place where they can find a spot to nest or they're moving away from some place that has run out of food because of cold weather coming in. So they have to move. They don't have another choice. So a lot of the birds that our Bird Collision Corps volunteers have found um, as a result of our studies are um, really beautiful, charismatic, often some of our favorite bird species, such as ruby-throated hummingbirds. That's oh. often mm. a, a very common species that our volunteers find. Yellow-bellied sapsuckers are another one, cedar waxwings, Tennessee warblers, white-throated sparrow, which is a really great native sparrow species, uh, Nashville warblers, dark-eyed juncos, which is a, a winter bird. It comes to us during the winter as like its warm spot. So um, those start showing up. We have them here now in Wisconsin. Um, American robins, morning doves. So morning doves and robins um, can migrate in winter, but some stay here. So we would see these during all times of year, um, but less so during the winter too. So migratory birds are, are often the ones that are most affected by collisions. Okay, oh, that is so sad. Just yeah. thinking of all these beautiful birds we have and you know, our infrastructure is killing them, which is really unfortunate. Um, so like I kind of mentioned in the introduction, whenever a bird hits one of my windows, which luckily doesn't happen very often anymore, I would always run over to the window to see if the bird is still alive. And oftentimes when I would like see the bird sitting on the ground, maybe looking a little stunned or maybe it does fly away, I immediately would feel relief thinking, oh, this bird survived that crash, you know, I'm so happy, right? And then I would just go on with my day. But as I've been thinking about it a bit more, I feel that birds that don't die on impact may actually die later on because these birds are flying at high speeds. So I'm assuming, you know, a similar comparison would be if I'm, you know, on my bike going really fast and I go straight into a brick wall mm. without a helmet on, you know, that could probably cause some serious injuries for myself. So I guess my question for you is when birds fly into windows and then proceed to fly away, do they actually have a high survival rate? Yeah, that's a great question. We, we often get that question or, or a comment from someone saying that, you know, a bird hit their window, but it flew away. So it was, it was fine, right? And we want to believe that because it looked like it was fine. And we hate to think that our windows caused an unnecessary bird death. Unfortunately, that's not the case. Um, a study from the University of Pennsylvania in 2013 found that of over a thousand birds that were admitted to a rehabilitation facility after a collision, so they came in as a result of hitting a window, only about 23% of them were successfully released. Hmm. That means that over three-fourths of those birds died after hitting a window, even with the help of being in a rehabilitation facility. Okay. So birds that you know, they had extra help right. and, and they still unfortunately didn't make it. And so the birds that hit windows and appear stunned or fly away, in many cases, they're flying to a quiet, safe place to die. Right, right. Not always, you know, if they, if they hit a window at a lower speed or it's not straight on, you know, if it's kind of just an angled glancing blow, they may be okay. But we always encourage people to, if you can, 
put the bird into a shoebox in a quiet, safe place and then bring it into um, a place like Dane County Humane Society's Wildlife Center, that's a great option because they are able to better help birds um, that hit windows. Our partner at the Wildlife Center shared with me that the, the majority of birds that are admitted after hitting windows have some combina combination of a, a shoulder fracture or a oh. keel fracture that they're able to treat in a lot of cases. Okay, that's good. Um, they may have some respiratory trauma or some ocular or eye trauma um, or some head trauma. In a lot of those cases, uh, the Wildlife Center is able to help them. They keep them in captivity until they're able to be re-released into the wild. Um, and they have really good release rates, but even still, there's only so much that they can do for a bird. So I think it's interesting you mentioned the three quarters could, or I guess end up dying, and then 20, around 25% can be released from these facilities. Um, but I think oftentimes, if there's no facility around or no rehabilitation center, I've also heard that birds that maybe are stunned but have a high chance of survival, maybe they didn't break any bones or they are not hemorrhaging inside, um, I think sometimes I read online that those birds are really easy targets for predators. So while they're sitting there stunned, maybe a predator comes by and scoops it up, right? So I think that would then increase that, you know, three quarters to maybe something higher, um, leaving a very small percentage to actually fly away and survive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. I don't have any research around that, but I can definitely follow that train of thought. And I, I imagine that that's true, that as they're trying to reorient themselves and and kind of get their wits about them again that it's very possible for a predator whether it's a, a bird of prey or an outdoor cat or whatever it is mm -hmm. to take advantage of that time of weakness right and then you also mentioned how sometimes the birds will fly away just to find a quiet place to die a quiet safe place and i think we see the same thing with other animals too so i know a really big thing in the midwest unfortunately is people hitting deers with their cars um, and sometimes people are shocked. They hit a deer and then the deer gets up and walks into the woods and they think, wow, this deer is invincible. How did it survive that? Um, but oftentimes these animals are just flooded with adrenaline and that allows them to walk to a quiet place where they then, you know, unfortunately suffer and die. So I think the same thing is happening with these birds as well, like you mentioned. I think that's probably true. You know, it's, it's a really, um, it's a hard thing to think about, you know, because we want, we want those birds to be okay. But the, the truth is if we can do anything to help the birds in after they've experienced a collision or better yet, before they've even hit a window, we can do things that make it less likely that they're going to hit the window in the first place. That's really the best option. That's a really good transition into my next set of questions, which is what can we do as individuals to prevent these bird collisions? And before jumping into the questions, I just wanted to share a story with you. So about two years ago, I was actually living in, in Costa Rica. Um, I was there for a job and I was living up in the cloud forest. And we were living in this gorgeous house um, in the rainforest. It had floor to ceiling glass windows, a beautiful view of the valley below us. We were so fortunate to be living there. Um, and this one day I was, you know, observing the view and just enjoying my time there. And I heard a very loud thud against our glass. And I was like, oh no, a bird has hit the window. So I went outside to to see what bird hit the window. Um, and you know, in the US, I'm really used to seeing maybe sparrows or um, some of those other birds you mentioned hit our windows, which is very sad. But in Costa Rica, it was actually um, a brown hooded parrot that had hit the window. And I'm gonna show you a picture of this. Maybe you already know what this species looks like, but 
it brought tears to my eyes because this was one of the most beautiful birds I had ever seen. Oh my gosh. It had so many beautiful colors on it, blues, reds, greens, oranges, and yellows. And just seeing this beautiful exotic tropical bird die from a window collision at my Costa Rican house broke my heart. And I think it it hurt even more because this was what I would consider an exotic species, right? Because I'm not used to seeing these tropical birds in the U.S. So it hurt even more just to see, you know, something that I would usually see in a zoo or something um, die in my backyard in Costa Rica. So that really hit home. And um, from then on, we were like, we need to change these windows in this house to make them more bird friendly. So maybe you could start by telling us a little bit more about what we could do to prevent these bird collisions from happening at our homes. What's like some best practices we can follow? Yeah, that's that's a great question. And And first, I want to share that I hear this all the time. Everybody has a bird story and everybody also has an experience. Everyone that I have talked to has an experience with a bird hitting a window. And, you know, I have a similar story when the first time I remember a bird hitting a window, I was 10 years old maybe, and at my hair cutter's house, just sitting in my chair, she was snipping away, and all of a sudden, this huge crash came from the room next to us. So we walk into that room, and on the floor is a ring-necked pheasant, Ugh. and what used to be her picture window was shattered on the floor. The window shattered? The entire window <gasps> shattered. Oh, no. And then you look outside at her beautiful wooded backyard, and it was so clear how to connect those dots of what happened Mm -hmm. and yet at the time i thought that was a rare event and maybe it's rare for a bird to hit so hard and at such a speed and be so large that they could break a window Mm -hmm. but you know i thought that this was like a freak accident that nobody really experiences but you know 20 years later now i know that this is anything but rare Mm -hmm. that this is an extremely big problem that you know in in most cases, everyone in a room has experienced. So I just want to acknowledge that, that you are not alone in this experience. I'm not either. And for all of the listeners out there, if you've heard or seen a bird hit a window, that is an unfortunately a very common thing, which we can do something about. Good. So um, the first tip that I usually give to homeowners or folks who um, rent or whatever your living arrangement is, um, if you like to feed birds, there are some rules of thumb to follow that really help prevent birds from hitting windows. So the first is uh, how you place your feeder, where you place your feeder in your yard. Um, The best rule of thumb to follow is to either place your bird feeder within three feet of the home or more than 30 feet away. Okay. So the idea with that is if it's within three feet of the house, if if the bird flies toward a window seeing something in the reflection, they're not going fast enough to cause themselves serious injury. Right. You know, they, they're so close, they haven't got up the speed yet. If the feeder is more than 30 feet away, they're just less likely to come toward the window because it's so far away. So um, the three or 30 rule is a good one to follow. Uh, if you have a feeder near a window, just in general, a good rule of thumb to follow is to treat it with the window treatment. And I'm gonna talk more about what those options are in just a minute. But if you want to be able to see easily the birds that are coming to your feeder and so you place it by a window, the really the responsible thing to do for the birds that you love to watch is to put up a window treatment to prevent them from coming to um, a quick death. 
Okay, so have that extra layer of protection, even though you're already so close to the window, yes. just in case. Yes. Okay. Um, so another thing is to think about your landscaping. Um, so providing high-quality habitat for birds in the form of native plants and water and diverse structure is, is wonderful. And it, it serves a lot more than just birds. Pollinators and all sorts of critters benefit from um, great native landscaping. Um, but then we also need to think about, consider how that habitat is then reflected in our windows. So you can almost do your own little audit around your home. If you walk around and kind of put on your bird lens to see if you can observe any habitat reflected in windows or if you can see straight through your house in through one set of windows and out through another set of windows um, in like a pass-through situation. Um, or if there's just any other indication that there would be some kind of dangerous um, situation that birds would be drawn into the habitat mm -hmm. and then, you know, we don't want to create a situation where birds are drawn into a habitat and then um, and then die as a result of hitting windows. Right, right. So some really great options for treating your windows. There, there are so many options. Mm -hmm. It really varies based on what you want it to look like and how expensive they are and how easy they are for you to install or someone else to install. So there are tons of options. I'm gonna talk about just a few of them though and, and the most popular ones that people tend to like. Okay. Um, so the first one that I'll talk about are, are dots that you can add to the outside of your window. And ideally any window treatment that goes up would be on the outside to be able to cancel out that reflection that birds see in the window. So um, there are multiple companies that make um, stickers, little dots or squares that come in a tape. So you can um, put the tape across your window. The dots are pre-measured out by two inches so that each dot is two inches apart from each other. So you put the tape on your window, press it all to the glass, remove the tape and then the stickers just stay behind on the glass. Oh, okay, that's really nice. Yeah, it's really nice, super handy for homeowners. Um, and then you would do, you would repeat that process two inches below so that all of the dots are no more than two inches from each other. So okay. it, yeah, you, so the rule of thumb, I'm talking about lots of rules of thumbs. I hope you have lots of thumbs, <laughs> um, is to have whatever you put on your window be no more than two inches apart from each other. Uh, research from American Bird Conservancy has shown that birds are able to um, navigate and fly through spaces that are very tight. And so a two-inch um, spacing prevents birds from trying to get into that area. I see. Okay, so, because I feel like I've seen people before who maybe just put up like one sticker or like a couple of stickers that are pretty far apart on their windows. But I guess thinking about what you said in that research study, that would just show birds that there's maybe an obstacle they have to fly around. But then if you have the, the other option, the two inch space stickers, that would give the appearance of a cluttered environment that a bird might just try to avoid altogether. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah, okay. exactly. So, you know, it, it may do some good to have stickers that are spaced far apart, um, but really the, the bird will mo most likely try to just get around it, um, okay. it to get to habitat that they see reflected in other parts of the glass. Mm, right. So dots are a great option. A lot of people really like that style. Um, they're also semi-permanent, so they last for years and years. 
Um, and you can wash your windows over it. You don't have oh. to you know, worry about doing it any certain way or having the dots come off. They, they wash up well. Oh, that's super um, handy. I used to think that if I put these stickers on the outside of my windows, they would like come off in a rainstorm. So that's good to right, know they're like yeah. really weatherproof. They're designed to be in places like Wisconsin that oh. get all sorts of weather, right? Mm -hmm. Like really hot in the summer and really cold in the winter and everything in between. So um, they're, they're really smartly made that way. Okay, that's great. Yeah. So another option that a lot of people like are to make these paracord curtains. So it, the idea of it is to have a string or a bar that goes across the top of your window and then to space out paracord strings that just dangle down from that to have each string every so often so that it just hangs in front of your window for the full length top to bottom of your window. And then you just let it hang there. You don't have to tie off the bottom okay. because the goal for this is to have them sway in the breeze and that 3D movement really helps birds understand that there's something there that they shouldn't try to go toward. Oh, okay. So they're very effective. A lot of people like the way that they look. They're sometimes called Zen curtains because mm -hmm. that sort of movement is almost hypnotic like a campfire would be. So um, that's another really good option and something that people can make at home. You know, you just right. buy the paracord from a craft store and you can um, whip that out in a, in a weekend. So. Okay, um, I had a question about that. Should the paracord, the pieces that dangle down, should those be spaced out two inches as well? Yeah, good question. So these can be spaced out a little bit more. Um, and our website has some information about how you can find out more, more instructions on how to make these um, in case you don't wanna take notes as you're listening to this, but they can be spaced out three or four inches. So this is one case where you don't have to follow that two inch rule because the paracord is usually moving and it's also not pressed up against the glass. So having that dimension and movement still allows for the birds to be able to see that there's something there without it being so close together. It, it has as much of a, a good effect on, okay, on I that see. Um, situation as, as like the dots would be spaced two inches apart. So, um, so yeah, so there's lots more information about how to make these on our website. Awesome. Yeah, I'm glad you guys have your website with information. What is the, like, what should people look up if they want to find your website? Yeah, they can go to madisonaudubon.org slash prevent dash collisions. Awesome. I'll put that in the show notes. Great. So there are some other really good options that, um, you know, you can use to prevent window collisions. You can put up some um, artwork using tempera paint, you know, that's very cheap at a craft store that is washable paint so you can leave it up for a bit if you want to celebrate for the football game coming up or whatever season and then wash it off and try something new for design. You just have to make sure that you follow that two inch spacing. Mm. There are other products that prevent collisions. There's a type of tape that you can put on your window that kind of mimics the paracord thing except for it's on the glass. Um, and then insect screens are very effective at preventing collisions. It's one of the best options actually. Okay. Um, because they, by having an insect screen on the outside of the window, like on the exterior side of the window, it both reduces or eliminates the reflection and that pass-through effect that looks like birds can just fly through there. 
in some cases, like in a casement window, the screen is on the inside of the glass, so it wouldn't have as good of an effect in that case. Mm -hmm. But if the if the window screen, the insect screen is on the outside of the glass, that is a very effective and cost effective in many cases because a lot of windows come with these screens. Um, it's a it's a really good option. Okay, so the first thing people should do is look at your windows and determine if your screen is on the inside or the outside. That's right. <laughs> So I had a question for you. Um, when I used to live in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, we were living inside this beautiful um, 1950s mid-century modern home. It was about 5,000 square feet, and it was a project house. So we were retrofitting the entire house into a net zero energy, zero waste home. Um, and the architecture of the house was very unique. So it had floor to ceiling windows across the entire house, mm -hmm. which is beautiful, right? And I actually have a picture here I'm gonna go ahead and show you just so you can get a better idea of what this home looked like. So here's the, the house. Oh my gosh. Can you describe what you're, what you're seeing in the windows though? So in the windows, so that the home has floor to ceiling windows on the exterior of the house. Um, and in the windows, you see a beautiful golden colored fall foliage tree. So it is just like the perfect example of reflected habitat in a grand sense that's a yeah. lot of window yeah and it like this house was located basically in a little forest and I felt like the windows were almost like mirrors because we could just see like when I was standing outside I felt like I was in a big forest because I couldn't even like tell mm. there was like a structure near me because of all the glass and it was it was honestly gorgeous we had over 1,000 square feet of glass on that house which I loved but it was not bird friendly and we had birds hitting our windows all the time because of that reflection but also you could see straight through our house because there was just windows everywhere and we felt really bad we were like we're calling ourselves the sustainability demonstration house but we are basically resulting in bird window collisions, which is not good for the environment. So we actually met up with the uh, Copper Country Audubon Society because we, we needed some help. We were like, can you guys give us some recommendations for how we can reduce the bird collisions? And the first thing they had us do was move the bird feeder. Um, they, they told us the three versus 30 foot rule. We actually just ended up taking it down altogether just to stop luring birds into our property. Um, but then they said, they said for your windows, we recommend putting up these window clings so similar to what you were saying except these were completely transparent they were like six inch by six inch transparent uh squares that had a design etched onto them but again it was all transparent so it looked really nice on the windows and i guess these window clings were supposed to reflect back uv light which we obviously can't see, but they had told us the birds can see the UV light and they'll know not to fly into your windows. So I was just curious if you've heard of those before and what your thoughts are on the UV reflecting uh, window clings. Yeah, I have heard of those before and I know a couple of people who have put them up and have had good luck with them. Um, I will say that not all birds see in UV. Oh. So for, um, for some species, it wouldn't help at okay. all, but for others, they would be able to see that and know that there's something there. But even still, American Bird Conservancy, which is the, the authority on um, this type of work, has done research on each of these different types of window treatments, and they recommend that these vinyl clings are still spaced out two inches from okay. each other. Yeah. So, so the, the golden rule of thumb. Yeah, it is. And, you know, they're bigger, and so it, it almost would not become a window anymore if you're putting so many of them on the glass that you yeah. can't see through it. Very true. So it's, 
it's really preferable, I think probably for everyone, people inside and birds outside, to have a window treatment that really works well and still allows the windows to be used as windows. Right. So, you know, the dots, the paracord curtains, window, uh, the, the insect screens, those are all really good options that still allow the people on the inside of the home to, to benefit from seeing outside and to get natural light inside, but reduces significantly the danger to birds. Okay, got it. That's really good to know. I know there's just so many options out there. Like, we don't know what actually is effective versus what's not. So I'm glad there's research out there to help us better understand that. Is there anything we shouldn't be doing? So things that aren't actually effective at preventing collisions? Well, there, there are a couple. I mean, one thing is to not do anything. <laughs> and, right. And in some cases, people don't know what to do. And so that prevents them from doing anything. And I really encourage you, if you're at that spot, to visit our website so that you can get just a handful of suggestions to get you started and see if there's something that you like and want to be able to pursue as a, a method for treating your windows. So uh, besides that, uh, some stores will sell like the, the silhouettes of a hawk mm -hmm. and say that you put that up on your window and birds will see that and be scared away and not hit your window. Unfortunately, birds are smarter than that. Yeah. <laughs> so those, you know, the silhouettes are not effective, partly because as we've talked about, birds will just get around it. They'll see that that shadow is not moving mm -hmm. and they'll try and fly around it. Um, so you would have to put up so many of those silhouettes on the window <laughs> that it would not be a window anymore. Right, because those are completely opaque, if I'm right. not mistaken. Right, they're opaque. Okay, so that's an option we should try to avoid then. Right. Okay. <laughs> um, in, in most cases, putting the window treatment on the outside of the glass is most effective. So putting something up on the inside doesn't do as much okay. as on the outside. So that's another thing to think about. Um, if you don't have the option of putting something on the outside of your glass, like if you live in an apartment building, then you can pull your screens or pull your blinds and kind of shut them, especially during fall and spring migration when migratory birds are really on the move. Mm. Um, and that will, do, that will do some good and it will be better than nothing. So really, I just encourage you to, to just do what you can and, and what suits you because if you like whatever window treatment it is, you'll keep it for longer and it will do more for birds that way. Right, okay, that's really good to know. Going back to the like falcon silhouettes, I've also seen some people purchase like sculptures of owls or like mm -hmm. fake owl decoys, which I think work for maybe like some farming practices or for, for some other things. I actually read online through the Journal of Field Ornithology that these owl decoys have been found to be very ineffective. So maybe similar to the hawk or the um, the falcon silhouettes, they're not moving and the birds, like you said, are smarter than that. So they know that it's okay to fly toward that window, unfortunately. Yeah, that's right. And you know, there's there's other things that, you know, are, are better worth your money. <laughs> so those uh, mounts or the the statues are fun to have, but they're that's that's all they are really. Yeah, they're, it's like an art piece more yeah, so. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So a question for you, because I know sometimes people are hesitant to invest in like a window treatment or window clings without first understanding what they're going to look like on their windows. So are there any locations in Dane County that our residents could visit to kind of see some of these window treatments in action? Yeah, so there are um, a number of places that folks could go. So public buildings that have put up window treatments include on campus, on the UW-Madison campus, 
There is a residence hall on the south side of campus called Og Residence Hall. Um, it has a six-story glass connector, so like a walkway oh. that connects two different portions of the dorm. Um, our Bird Collision Corps volunteers found that that was a hot spot for birds mm, to die because I bet. it has that pass-through effect. And yeah. then there's also this arrangement where it's almost like a an atrium or, you know, it's like a U-shaped area called a box canyon. Uh, and so birds get in there and they see a lot of reflection around them on all sides of them pretty much and they can't figure out how mm. to get out. So it's like the equivalent to a mirror maze. Exactly. Which I actually run into mirrors when I'm in those. <laughs> so I understand what the birds are feeling. Exactly. So um, this residence hall was found to be a hot spot for bird collisions. And so uh, we and our partners on campus worked to find funding for and put up um, a window treatment there. It uses the dots that I described earlier. They make them in industrial sized sheets so oh. you could they they put up those dots on five of the six stories of that glass connector and it has had a 90 percent reduction rate wow so collisions. very effective yes so and that that's data that's from our bird collision core survey program so um you can visit campus and look for og ogg residence hall um, that's a really great example of the dots in in practice so if you're looking for a display of tempera paint and how that can be a really fun and effective way to reduce window collisions, Penny Library on Madison's east side has a great display up right now that uses um, tempera paint to make rainbows and different shapes and it, it covers the glass in such an artistic and fun, beautiful mm -hmm. way that you know it's, it's just nice to look at in addition to being helpful to birds. Right, and I'm sure it's fun for the kids to help make that as well and to understand that they're positively impacting the birds then. Absolutely. That's a lot of what this is. Putting up a window treatment is, is great for birds in the sense that you're actually reducing collisions, but it's also a really great conversation starter and awareness builder. You know, people ask you, like, what's up with these dots? Right. And then you can talk about what, what, why they're up and, and what encouraged you or inspired you to do that. Um, and your experience with whether it does actually reduce collisions, and I hope that it does. I don't have any great examples for where people can look for the paracord curtains. I don't know of a public building that has used this, but there are a lot of homes that use that strategy. So if you're driving around and you notice paracord hanging in front of someone's window, just take note of that because that would be uh, a, a deterrent for window collisions. I know that was a big one we saw in Costa Rica in the cloud forest because it's kind of hard to ship things into Costa Rica like different window clings. So they were relying more on the paracord and it was really effective. Um, I think since there was so many hummingbird species in the cloud forest, they did try to space the paracord pretty close together mm. just for all those little tiny bird sure. species. And also some of the bigger bugs as well, because I know those fly into windows too. Yeah, definitely. They have a bit more armor on them, I believe, <sighs> from their exoskeleton. But yeah, I think the paracord can look really cool on a home as well. And just to elaborate a little bit more on what paracord is, um, it's a, a material that was that's used with parachutes. And so it's kind of like a slippery vinyl-like string. Um, and because of that, it doesn't tangle easily like mm. a lot of other types of cords would. Mm -hmm. um, and it's relatively weatherproof, so it will last for longer on the outside of your house. So it can stay up year-round, even in snow and ice and heat and wind. Um, and in, in, a, in all the cases that I know about, very little time is spent detangling the cords. 
So I think now we can move away from what we can do as individuals and now we can talk about ways we can approach creating a bird safe city because we really do need big steps taken I think by by our municipalities in order to create safer environments for these birds. Um, And I wanted to actually start this conversation by talking about wind turbines because I often hear one of the biggest arguments against wind turbines is that they kill birds, they kill bats, they kill other avian creatures. And that is why people will protest putting up wind turbines. So I was just curious to know if this is an accurate claim and if it is accurate and they do actually kill birds, how significant is the wind turbines killing birds as opposed to maybe like our buildings and those window collisions? Uh, That's a great question and and a broad topic. So I'm just going to try and answer it as um, succinctly as I can. So yes, wind turbines do kill birds as a result of birds running into them. Definitely it's it's um, true. So research from 2014 shows that um, wind turbines are responsible for killing, in the United States, about 234,000 birds. That's a lot of birds. That is, That's yeah. every year. Um, and that was 10 years ago. So, you know, mm. with more tur- wind turbines on the landscape, um, no doubt that number is higher. Right. So a quarter of a million birds. But that, that problem is relative, right? So we're talking about up to a billion birds dying as a result of hitting windows. Mm. And that number is significantly mm-hmm. higher than that of wind turbines. Another yeah. really big problem for birds is outdoor cats, which kill um, over 2 billion birds every single year in oh. the United States. So, so even more so than the window collisions. Even more so than window collisions. So these would be cats that are... Um, house cats that, are, that get outside or are let outside, barn cats, feral cats, um, any type of, of domesticated cat that spends time outside. They are very cute but very ferocious hunters, very yeah. talented hunters, and they mm-hmm. go for birds, um, among other things, but certainly birds. So, you know, window collisions are a really big problem in comparison with wind turbines. And, of course, right. anything that we do to protect birds should be done as smart thoughtfully and progressively as we can thinking about the future um, and how our actions are influencing all these different things happening so um, wind turbines can be done in a smart way um, along with solar power and other different types of energy sources we do know that climate change is a huge problem for birds Mm -hmm. and so any type of solution that we find probably is going to be multifaceted right and and just needs to be thoughtfully done. Okay, so I think now we understand that there are lots of structures such as wind turbines that do result in bird deaths, but I think the most, the two most prevalent ones we've talked about so far are the cats and then also window collisions. Now, when I think of window collisions, I often will picture large skyscrapers because those buildings are always reflecting light with all the glass on them. So I, I think that Um, those big structures will result in a lot of bird deaths because of their size. And then I often think that our homes, you know, which are like one story, maybe two, we have pretty small windows in comparison. Those result in maybe a couple of bird deaths each year. But I might be wrong in this thinking because I know there's not as many skyscrapers as there are like, you know, low rise buildings. So can you help us understand if there's any difference between collisions on these like 
one to two story homes and buildings versus the larger skyscrapers? Yeah, that's a great question. And you're not entirely wrong in the way that you're thinking about it, right? Skyscrapers, so that's classified as buildings that are 12 stories or taller um, in this particular research that I'm gonna reference. Uh, those buildings kill a lot of birds, but there are relatively few skyscrapers mm -hmm. when you think about how many homes yeah. and office buildings and apartment buildings there are. So skyscrapers are 0.1% of the problem for wow. window collisions. 0.1%. That's right. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So that's research done by Loss et al. in 2014. Um, and that same study showed that residences, so buildings that are between one and three stories, account for 43.6% of collisions. That's almost half, mm, right? Okay, yeah. And then the other half would be low-rise buildings, so those that are between four and 11 stories tall. Okay. So that's most of Wisconsin, right? Yeah. Homes and low-rise <laughs> buildings. Wow. So um, it's, a, it's a problem that, because it's not just skyscrapers causing this issue, it's a problem that we can work on and, and that we can tackle because we can be more, um, we are more empowered to changing how the windows on our homes are than we are skyscraper windows. Mm -hmm. Very true. <laughs> so um, it's actually, I, it's kind of a depressing, it's a very depressing statistic, yes. but it's also, <laughs> I think, something that makes me feel excited, you know, that like we can actually do something about this. Mm -hmm. Unlike some really big environmental problems that feel too big for us to tackle in an afternoon, putting right. up a window collision is something you can do and then see the effects of it immediately. Yeah, that's so true. Okay. Well, that is good to know. Um, I also, this makes me think about bird flight patterns and where they spend most of their time. And if I'm not mistaken, I think a lot of birds are nesting in trees that don't get to the same height as skyscrapers, obviously. So when they're leaving their nests and searching for food, they probably are flying close to these lower rise buildings or these one to two story homes or office buildings. So I think that makes sense as well based on their flight patterns. Yeah, so so here's something kind of cool about birds um, and especially migratory birds. A lot of them migrate at night, mm -hmm. like in the dark of night and they migrate by sight. So they need to be able to see where they're flying in order to go there. Um, it's not like, you know, some something that's just pulled by a magnetic uh, attraction or something. You know, they have to be able to see where they're flying. So on nights where there's cloudy conditions or fog, birds have to fly lower in the sky to get below the cloud cover. And that often puts them in line with buildings. Okay. So, um, and if there are lights on in the building, that can also attract birds, mm -hmm. um, especially if it's dark everywhere else, and then they see the light in the building that just draws them in. Um, so, the, you know, the the way that birds and migration are influenced by buildings is, I think, really an interesting topic. You know, they yeah. they fly by night, and then in, in the wee hours of the morning, they come down to rest and refuel. And then daylight comes and they see these nice trees and shrubs and other types of habitat reflected in the glass. And so collisions can happen in the middle of the night when they're flying, or it can happen in the morning when they're recharging and, and mm. getting more food. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, I think um, I've also been looking into light pollution and the impacts of that on birds. I think we probably could have a whole episode about light <laughs> pollution. So maybe we'll save that for another time. But yeah, it's like everything we're doing from our glass structures to the lights that we turn on 
um, are impacting the birds. So we need to, I think, be more more thoughtful with what we're installing in, in these structures and the way that we build them. That's right. And and you don't know what you don't know until you know it. You know, so a lot of these things most people just don't think about because mm-hmm. why would you? You know, and right. and and if we we learn about it, if you're listening to this podcast or watching the show and now you know about it, now you can do something. Yeah, very true. Knowledge is power. <laughs> so, all right. So let's talk again about making bird safe cities. And what I've learned is people are very much driven by finances, by economics, right? So they won't want to make a change unless we can show that it has some sort of financial benefit to them, right? So a lot of people are willing to turn toward, for example, solar power because that has a relatively quick ROI in Wisconsin, maybe seven to 10 years. And then after that, you're essentially making money that you weren't making before. So I think finances are a way we can sell ideas to people. So a question for you is, is there any sort of economic benefit to creating bird safe cities? Well, you know, putting a price tag on the presence or absence of birds is really hard. But that said, there are definite economic reasons that having birds around is a good thing. So they provide really important ecosystem services. So some birds pollinate flowers, which provide food and materials that uh, we as humans need. A lot of them are great at seed dispersal, so they're spreading different seeds all around and those seeds germinate in places they need to germinate. Um, They're very good insect controllers, so Mm -hmm. mosquitoes, ticks, um, arachnids, you know, the birds play a big role in the food web. Um, So ecosystem services are a really important part of this. Uh, Ecotourism as well is, is important. You know, Wisconsin is a great place to go birding. We have all sorts of different types of habitats, whether it's wetland or prairie or woodland or everything in between and everything beyond. Um, so people traveling to be able to see birds in these different habitats brings economic benefit to these communities. You know, people are stopping to have lunch or maybe they're staying overnight and need a place to stay and, and they're buying binoculars and birding books and all sorts of different things. And so there's a lot of money flowing as a result of healthy bird populations. Um, And even like mysteriously appearing birds like this past year, flamingos came to Wisconsin. Oh, I didn't even know about that. (laughs) Yeah. That's so unusual. It's very unusual. And people came from all over to see the bizarre scene of flamingos in Wisconsin. So ecotourism is a really important part of that as well. Based on my research, I did see that the birding ecotourism industry is a multi-billion dollar industry, which I had no idea about. But it makes sense if people are flying all over the world to see birds and they're buying the equipment. And I know birding equipment is not cheap and I'm sure there's some photography aspects there as well. So I just didn't realize, you know, the dollar amount on just the ecotourism part. So I think there are huge economic benefits behind the birds that we see every day. Absolutely. Yes. That's multi-billion with a B, which is kind of mind-blowing. But yes, absolutely. And then, of course, there are also health benefits for having birds in our lives. People, studies have shown that people um, have better mental wellness when they're able to see and hear birds. There's a direct link between those things. Um, by getting out and walking around and and seeing birds um, or just being in nature, there's physical benefit to that. So um, having birds 
here in their native habitat doing the things that they should be doing is a good thing for people as well. Yeah, definitely. So I, I know that Badgerland Bird Alliance does conduct bird and window collision studies. Could you help us understand what those actually look like? Yeah, so the program is called the Bird Collision Core. Uh, this was a program that we started with partners at the UW-Madison and Dane County Humane Society's Wildlife Center in 2018 with the goal of identifying which buildings are especially problematic for birds when it comes to window collisions and then determining if we can help solve that problem. So brainstorm ideas and help find funding and whatever the case is. So the program started at UW, but it has expanded since then. And in fall 2022, we started surveying the Sun Prairie Public Library as part of this program. So our volunteers receive training and they receive a survey kit. So they uh, sign up for a shift, a weekly shift during spring migration or fall migration. That's when we do our surveys is spring and fall because that's when birds are moving a lot more than other times of the year. Um, and so the, the volunteers walk around the base of the building, the, the perimeter of the building on the outside, and look on the ground as well as on the glass to see if they observe any evidence of birds hitting windows. So on glass, there might be like a window smear where you can see that a bird hit. On the ground, you might find a dead or injured bird and our volunteers have training and supplies to deal with the bird in whichever case it is, whether it's stunned and it needs to go to the wildlife center or if it's dead and we uh, bring it in for our specimen collection. Um, so they walk around the base of the building. If they find a bird, they document it using our data portal. And then um, they do that same survey each week that they're um, doing the survey period for. So at the, at the end of the survey period, we have a nice collection of data for how many collisions our volunteers documented at that building. I should, I should add that uh, we typically get vo enough volunteers to survey the building seven days a week. Oh, that's great. So it's a pretty comprehensive, not perfect, but comprehensive look at how many birds are hitting windows there. This doesn't account for birds that are scavenged. So there are scavengers that know where birds typically hit windows mm. and they pick them up for an easy lunch, which respect, that makes sense. Um, so they may take birds away before our volunteers are able to get to them and document them. Um, but for the most part, it's a, it's a pretty nice picture of what the bird collision uh, situation is like at that building. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, I have heard that there's like a certain time of day when you should do the study before those predators come out and walk around the perimeter and pick up their food. I think it was early morning. That's right. Yeah, so we typically, our, our volunteers usually finish their surveys by 9.30 in the morning. Okay. Um, so, you know, it's, it allows for them to be able to get out to the site after the sun comes up, mm -hmm. but then finish before, you know, a scavenger might come and, and take the bird away. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. And also there's probably times where birds maybe fall into places where we can't access them. Um, maybe 
they hit a higher window and fall onto a rooftop or they fall between um, like two gates or two fences or something. So I'm sure that maybe even with these numbers we come up with, the impact is even greater with the number of bird collisions. Yeah, so our data that we collect are conservative estimates for yeah. what's happening. And they're only the ones that we have birds in hand for. And then there are these other cases where you don't have the evidence to be able to say for sure that a collision happened here. And, and so all of the data that we provide, the trends that we provide are conservative estimates. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's just important so people understand that. Because I think this issue is bigger than we all can even realize. But I really like that you guys are working hard with your volunteers to survey these buildings and go out seven days a week. Because I know you mentioned earlier, bird flight patterns are dependent on weather. So if you have a storm one day or cloud cover one day, that might be a good day to go out and survey. Yeah, absolutely. There's a website that also forecasts bird migration. Oh. It's called BirdCast, and um, it's free to access. It's a wonderful resource where, you know, whether or not you're interested in collisions or, or predicting collisions, or if you just want to know when birds are moving through and when sp spring migration is happening and you can expect lots of great bird activity the next morning, you can look at that website, and they have, it looks like a heat map mm. of where birds are really pushing through on the days that they have the forecast for. So it's, it's almost like watching the weather come in where you can yeah. see birds coming up into different parts of the country and, and then into Wisconsin. It's very exciting. Ooh, I'm going to go check that out. That's yeah. so cool. <laughs> I love great. that. So you had mentioned that you guys recently did a study at the Sun Prairie Public Library. I'm curious to know what those results were. Yeah, so the results were very um, positive. Ooh, yes. okay. We began our first surveys there in fall 2022, and our volunteers found five birds. Um, in spring 2023, they found no birds. And then this fall, which just wrapped up um, on November 1st, they, our volunteers found just one bird that had hit window, uh, a window there. So, you know, that's, that's great. There are- yeah, those are some um, numbers. Other similarly sized buildings that have between like 10 and 30 collisions at each building um, in the fall. And fall typically typically gets twice as many window collisions as spring, according to our data, okay. the data that our volunteers I think I've seen that as well in line. Yeah, which makes sense. You know, birds, um, this is right after, fall is right after the nesting season, so there are just more birds on the landscape, and, and they're, many of them are migrating for the first time. And so fall is a very dangerous time for birds, and we typically get a lot of collisions. But fortunately, at the Sun Prairie Public Library, our volunteers have not documented many at all. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with how the building is designed. So mm. there are lovely windows at the library, but they're not huge and many of them have insect screens on them. Right. So it's like the, the nice sweet spot between letting in natural light without creating a dangerous spot for birds. Mm, okay, I'm really, really happy to hear that. And I know our library is gonna be going through an expansion project soon, which is exciting. And I do know that we are requesting BirdSafe glass as an alternate bid. Mm. I know we'll have to see what the price comes back as for that much glass, right, in the new atrium. But I'm really happy that our design team is considering that in the new expanded building because I think that's a step in the right direction toward helping the birds. Absolutely. And, you know, it, it, BirdSafe glass is a really neat type of material that has a window collision deterrent 
in the glass as it's made. So in some cases it has what's called frit, F-R-I-T. So it's a, a pattern that is baked or etched into the glass. And so glass companies are making bird safe glass in large sheets and different sizes and lots of different ways because there's demand for it. There are more and more municipalities that have city ordinances that require bird safe glass in um, large construction projects or there's uh, there are companies or, or large buildings that just want to use bird safe glass and, and be uh, responsible corporate or public entities in that way. So um, using bird safe glass is more expensive, but there's often a huge public um, relations benefit. Mm -hmm. People really like seeing bird safe glass and it often is just a small, the, the price difference is a, often a small fraction of the overall budget. Um, so it's a, I, I know that's hard when it's, especially when it's tax dollars and, and it's more complicated, but I, I do really encourage the Sun Prairie community to support this because it's really important for sustainability and conservation and for people who just love to see birds. Right, definitely. And I've read that it's a lot easier to implement bird safe glass up front when you're already doing a retrofit project or a new construction instead of doing it, you know, down the line, then it's going to have a lot of extra costs. So yeah, I think now is the time to start investing in that. And there's, like you said, a big industry out there now with so many different options at different price points for our new infrastructure. All right, so you had mentioned passing a city ordinance that would maybe help the birds out. Um, and I think this is one of the biggest ways that we as a city or a municipality can start putting pressure on, you know, everyone in our city, on developers, on residents, on business owners to start thinking about and um, putting up bird friendly glass features. So I'm aware that in 2020, the city of Madison actually passed an ordinance that requires bird-friendly glass for new building construction that meets a certain criteria. So I think it was either like the size of the building or maybe the size of the glass on the building. And personally, I'm a huge fan of this ordinance. I feel it's really good for the birds and it's a great step in the right direction for the city of Madison. But I understand that not everyone felt the same way as me. Um, and I think this ordinance ended up being brought to court because of some some issues surrounding it. Would you be able to kind of fill us in on what exactly happened with the city of Madison ordinance and what was the final ruling from the court? Sure, so this was a really, a really big deal um, in the sense that it was the first time a, a bird safe glass ordinance had been challenged in the country. Wow, so there are other states and cities that have bird safe ordinances, but none of those had been challenged. Correct. None of them had been to court. Interesting. So this was the first time a legal challenge had been brought against a bird safe glass ordinance. And I'm not a lawyer and I don't know the specifics of um, the, the lawsuit. So I can't speak to that as much as the overall picture. So, so what happened was the city of Madison with help from um, the the Bird Collision Corps and the UW and a bunch of, and, and the community members that at that time was Madison Audubon, um, the city created and passed a city ordinance that required that any building that was being constructed or renovated that was over 10,000 square feet that um, used more than 50% of glass on any facade 
needed to be able to use bird safe glass or some kind of method that reduces window collisions, okay. um, that prevents window collisions. And that had to be created in the design from the get-go. Like mm. it, wasn't, it wasn't a retrofit option. You have to have this incorporated into the design of the building. It required that the first 60 feet of glass from the ground be treated to prevent collisions. Um, and that often is using glass that has frit, like I was talking about with that right. pattern baked into it, or um, using some opaque materials or metal screens or solar shading or some kind of way to reduce the reflection on the glass and the transparency. Okay, and it sounds like there was a lot of options there to make yep. it uh, really feasible for the developers. Yep. yep, lots of options. This also applied to sky bridges, um, skywalks, and to at-grade glass. So this would be glass that's at like the ground level, like a, a glass screen, for okay. example. Or like a, a glass railing or yep. something? Yeah, okay. exactly. Got it. So they had to use some kind of visual marker in, in treating the glass. A group of developers sued the city of Mal Madison um, saying that it, it did not follow the building codes per the Wisconsin state law. Right. Yeah. So uh, after a few months of working to uh, support the city in this lawsuit, uh, we, we started a petition. Uh, thousands of community members signed it. Um, we provided expert opinion to the city. Uh, we, we did as much as we could to support this ordinance because we, we knew it was really important for birds, mm -hmm. not just in Madison, but also beyond. This being the first lawsuit that right. was brought against this ordinance, this type of ordinance, it there were implications if this went down. You know, there wouldn't be another municipality that could take on this ordinance in Wisconsin, mm, and it would set a true. precedent for other states as well. So it, there was a lot hanging on this. Mm -hmm. In summer of 2022, a Dane County judge ruled in favor of the ordinance. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> the group of developers appealed that ruling. Oh, no. And then this past uh, summer, a, the, the appellate court of one of the, one of the courts of Wisconsin ruled in favor of the ordinance. Um, the developer group had 30 days to submit their appeal. In the meantime, a thousand birds died after hitting one single building yes, in I, Chicago. I think I saw that on the news. That was so it was heartbreaking. big news. This yeah. was a record for the number of birds that died in just one single night at yeah. one single building, a thousand birds. And so this happened in the time that, you know, we were waiting to see if they were going to appeal it again, and then they didn't. Mm. And so now the ordinance has you know, been officially cleared oh, and good. it's out of litigation. Mm -hmm. And while all of this was happening, buildings were still required to use bird safe glass in their construction. So okay. now okay. as you drive through Madison, you see a lot of new buildings that use this. So if you want to see what Frit looks like, you can drive through Madison on East Washington and at the corner of East Wash and First Street, there is a building that has a coffee shop in there and they use Frit on the first floor of the building as required. Oh, I love that. <laughs> and if you're driving on campus, there's a building that is going up on Regent Street and Park Street that uses Fritz. And so there's just like, there's so many buildings that are incorporating this now, I think partly because they have to and partly because there's a demand for it, a public, right. a public hunger for mm -hmm. conservation and thoughtfulness for, for beyond what's good for people, but what's also good for the environment. Wow, that's amazing. I'm so happy this 
passed in court and kudos to Madison for being willing to fight this. I know that's probably a huge deal, um, a lot of time and work and thank you to your group too for doing the petitions and probably some of you provided the expert opinion or at least uh, coordinated that. So I think we're really fortunate to have you guys here helping us, but also City of Madison being a leader. Hopefully soon Sun Prairie could be following in the footsteps and establishing our own ordinance. Yeah, absolutely. And I also want to give a shout out to American Bird Conservancy, which was a huge help and support through the, the development of the city ordinance and also in the uh, litigation of it. So they, they were definitely, they're a national organization, but they came to Wisconsin to help. So it was, it's a really great partnership. That's wonderful. I'm glad there's so many people in support of this and willing to fight for it. That's great. All right, Brenna, I think we're approaching the end of our time here together. It's been such a wonderful conversation. Do you have any final thoughts you would like to share with our listeners? Yeah, you know, so the the ability to have a city ordinance is great. It helps in large and broad ways, but it also is so important that we as homeowners are able to do this work as well. And so having everybody do what they can do as much as they can do it is really what makes all of this work and, and all of it kind of click together and have a long-term and wa- uh, widespread benefit to birds. I agree, yeah. I think it's the same for sustainability in general. Like the bigger picture is we, we can't wait around for the governments to make the changes or the big corporations, and they can't just wait on us as individuals to make changes. We need to be working together side by side, making our own changes Absolutely. in our homes, in our cities, in our states, and in the country. So I 100% agree with you. Well, I think I think we're all set here. Thank you so much for being on my show today. I learned so much from you, and I'm excited to go home and research some more bird-safe glass options, maybe tell my friends and family about it. I know I have a neighbor who has a bird feeder. I might try to have a conversation with her about the placement of that. But yeah, I really appreciate your time today, and thanks so much for being on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me, and thank you to everyone tuning in. Thank you for listening to Sustainable Sun Prairie with your host, Rose Daly. I hope you enjoyed this episode and uncovered something new about sustainability. As always, you can subscribe to our podcast and listen anytime on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and you can listen live on 103.5 FM The Sun, WLSPLP, and on demand on the Sun Prairie Media Center app. For links and resources mentioned in this episode, as well as our contact info, please visit the show notes. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.